This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're back with Penny Dreadful, Season 2, Episode 4, Evil Spirits in Heavenly Places. Welcome back to the final episode in part three of our discussion about Penny Dreadful, season two, episode four, Evil Spirits in Heavenly Places. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi there, fellow Darklings. I am one of your other evil spirits, John. (laughs) And coming out of the wall, I am your third (laughs) co-host, Ray. (laughs) Yes, you have a great wallpaper complexion about you. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. That's so weird. I just kept thinking, you know, what if they stood in front of a white wall for a second? Would they match in with it or not? I'm not really too sure. <laughs> but uh, but no, of course they would. Yes, yeah. I'm sure they would pick that before. It's like, oh, shit, I've just walked past the white wall. Oh, oh they're going to see me. Um, anyway. <laughs> well, their ankles were probably white to, to go in with the skirting board. Very good. Very good, John. <laughs> Let's get into our discussion about episode four of season two. Evil Spirits in Heavenly Places. This episode was directed by Damon Thomas and written by showrunner John Logan. John, do you want to give us the summary of this episode? Sure. Having recounted her tale of the cult wife, Mr. Lyle tells them what he found in the artifacts from the British Museum. Inspector Russ continues his investigation into the killings at the Mariner's Inn, but finds the sole survivor has no recollection of what happened. He also investigates the murder of a young couple whose baby has apparently been stolen. He notes some similarities with the earlier killings. At Putney's Waxworks, John Clare spends time with the blind Lavinia. A chance encounter is nothing of the sort for Ethan when he meets Hecate Poole, while Victor Frankenstein asks Vanessa to help him buy clothes for Lily, who he passes off as his distant cousin. Dorian Gray introduces his new friend to the latest fad sweeping London. Ah, yeah, she's my, my cousin, my second cousin, my, my fifth cousin, my kissing cousin. Can we just say that? <laughs> if yeah. you see me kissing my cousin, it's my distant cousin, Lily. Right? <laughs> well, I, I do love Victor in this episode. I think he's, uh, I think he's very fumbly over his words. Very, yes. um, it kind of reminds you of the kind of Hugh Grant Britishness uh, that that you have in those in those uh, romantic comedies. <laughs> well, it's the conflict of being a second cousin, but with his precise measurements around uh, her sh- her height, shape, hip and bosom mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, for for the dress True. um yeah that was kind of like ooh, okay <laughs> yes he is a creep i do like the fact that he seems redder around the eyes as well so i wonder if he's upped his morphine count <laughs> certainly in anticipation of going dress shopping mm-hmm. um with with vanessa he probably should have taken angelique uh with him as well mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't know angelique yet sorry no that's true he doesn't know angelique yet <laughs> Let's get into the discussion about the episode, guys. Uh, John, what's your big moment from this episode? Um, it's it's the puzzle of the Verbus Diablo. Uh, I just really like this kind of a, I don't know, an 
evil hellish jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. um i don't know how you write on a butterfly wing but nonetheless <laughs> he managed brother gregory in all his saintliness mm-hmm. um was able to write on a butterfly it wing. was a massive butterfly it, it was but <laughs> yeah. i was just like with what um yeah. i just assumed you'd destroy the wings um but i i, I like this puzzle here um that the languages are changing from relic to relic. It's kind of, it really gives a sense of that, um, sort of ancientness, you know, is it the kind of moving between, um, Sumeric, Persian, Latin, Aramaic, uh, Greek, all these different things. Um, and, uh, the, the this change in language. And so they're having to piece together this puzzle, uh, to get the full text that is being given. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have Mr. Lyle kind of, you know, kind of saying this is the devil's autobiography you know there's a great moment with with him and and malcolm sort of trying to make headway with the decoding of, of mm-hmm. this uh verbis diablo were you know he he talks about it about the devil's autobiography but as malcolm says what's the point in him just simply recounting stuff that has happened mm-hmm. through this brother gregory back in the day is it not also to be some kind of rallying call for his followers of of being um something that is to come presumably around um vanessa uh but i i really like this just this little investigation with with these two and i also thought as well you know you, you mentioned it earlier as well uh ray around you know whose side is mr lyle on in in terms of him showing up in madame carly's um kind of comfortable abode um i'd say it'd be a little freaky going for sort of evening dinner around mm. there with the the, the <laughs> old uh the, the the bones all hanging on the walls but um i kind of liked here that whilst they are discussing dalliances um that he he is warning sir malcolm to proceed with caution mm-hmm. with evelyn pool um and at the same time, we, we just don't know to what extent some of the things, you know, he, he says, well, this is the devil's autobiography. You know, is it that he was trying to mislead Malcolm into thinking this is just sort of him recounting or the devil through Brother Gregory recounting what he's done, how he came into being? Uh, whereas Malcolm maybe is clued in enough to kind of take it further and beyond that. So is he trying to, you know, uh, purposefully retard this, 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 um, solving of the puzzle mm-hmm. um and yet at the same time you know we do know uh he is weak and he is under threat you know he is um in fear of his place in society if these pictures ever come to light in, in terms of his his wealth in terms of his marriage so you know that is a huge thing that is, is going to motivate him in in that sense but mm-hmm. i do like the fact that here he still uh does um provide uh, some kind of warning to Sir Malcolm about Evelyn Poole. Whether um, it's enough of a warning uh, is another thing. Um, I, I do like the fact that these dalliances, again, just bringing out the, the lighter side of, of uh, Mr. Lyle, whose first name is Ferdinand. Mm. Um, I think we find that out in episode two, don't we, or something, his actual first name. I've always ever known him as Mr. Lyle. I like that the dalliances are coming about by, you know, Samalcolm meeting, um, well, about him and Ethan in the British Museum. Uh, I I thought that was uh, quite nice. He goes, but dalliances can be overly Byzantine. Um, And he goes from Stoke-on-Trent to Budapest. So, yeah, Stoke-on-Trent is just like... um, 
an interesting <laughs> industrial town, shall we say, very different from Budapest. So I like that sort of contrast of, of a very industrial place like Stoke to Budapest, which is fairly romantic in, mm-hmm. in ter- and, you know, a sort of a, um, almost like Vienna in a sense, in terms of the architecture. And known for its steam baths and bathhouses. Exactly. So I, I liked his, it just, his lightness of touch, I think that's what he brings, mm. is Mr. Lyle, uh, this lightness of touch. Uh, but obviously, uh, Malcolm then does mention about his dalliance with um, Mrs. Poole, yes. which immediately causes Mr. Lyle to react uh, with his caution. Mm. Um, so again, I, I just feel it's maybe he's a little grey here as Mr. Lyle. I'm not saying he's not... Um, probably trying to disrupt this group yeah. uh, almost a bit like Fenton but maybe more subtly um, but I think he certainly has a hot, soft spot um, I was going to say a hot spot then um, <laughs> he has a hot spot for Ethan and a soft yeah. spot for, for some Alcan <laughs> um, but yeah um, and I, I like this I, I think he's doing what, what's yeah. within his abilities he's not ruining their way of putting together the puzzle, puzzle as such but when it comes to the personal nature of the relationship between uh, Sir Malcolm and, and Evelyn Poole, he's just cautioning him. Like, he doesn't give him any specific instructions to stay clear of her. He just says to be careful, you know, uh, the kind of advice that any friend would give, you know. Um, we didn't really point it out because there's so much to talk about in the series. We didn't really even point out the moment uh, earlier on in the season when um, Sir Malcolm met Evelyn Poole in the uh, perfumery mm. and she seems to have enchanted him with some form of a spell uh, that she has bound uh, Sir Malcolm to her. Yeah. So, is anything of their relationship real at all, or is it just the binding that uh, that she did in the, back in the perfumery? He seems to feel that they're courting of sorts, but would Malcolm have ever gone out to court someone this soon after uh, after leaving his wife? We know that he's had his own dalliances with many women over time, but would he actually go out and court for a new relationship, uh, knowing that he's still married? I suppose is the uh, is the interesting part. If it hadn't been for that moment with Evelyn, yeah, it's it's quite strange as well because he does make mention how. How bound he is to the duty of marriage as well. He mm. mentions that to Evelyn Poole as well. So I don't know whether, yeah, he, he is obviously mesmerized by her, which mm-hmm. he speaks that verbus Diablo in his ear. And I don't know whether there was something in the perfume or that was just to get him close. But yeah, um, yeah the, the, he, I don't know, it's a very subtle, must be a very subtle yeah. kind of influence because he still holds true to a lot of his beliefs as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he does seem to be slowly kind of drawn towards her. Yeah. With the, the warning that Ferdinand Lyle gives to, to Sir Malcolm, um, I, I kind of took it that he mentioned earlier in a previous episode that Skullduggery is not his, he's, he, he's not very, um, you know, he can't be deceptive mm-hmm. at yeah. all. Yeah. So I think yeah. he's just not doing, he, I think he can't do that. And, and he obviously has concerns for Malcolm as well. Um, so that's come out. Um, I didn't, mm-hmm. Get I, when they were looking at the relics, I was looking for anything to show that he was trying to mislead Malcolm in any way. I couldn't really mm-hmm. see it at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, so I'd agree, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, I think they're just trying to solve the puzzle together. Uh, listeners of TV podcast industries who've listened to us for a, a couple of years now might remember that one of our favorite uh, reality shows that we talk about on occasion on here is uh, is Survivor, um, <laughs> that, that we watch all the time. We've been watching it for it's what 20 seasons now i think yeah something like that um and i love 
this aspect in the episode, it felt like they were doing a puzzle from Survivor. <laughs> it felt like they were putting together one of those big puzzles that's going to uh, keep them immune from uh, from the oncoming slaughter in the future. So <laughs> I just had that thing in my head where it was like, okay, everybody's working together. You know, Ethan's going to take the Latin over there, and uh, Malcolm's going to take the um, going to take the uh, the Aramaic and or the Greek, and uh, and then we also have uh, Mr. Lyle using his uh, extra abilities and all the rest of the languages to get the other parts of it together, you know, and they're going to build this great puzzle uh, on the floor at the end of it. So it just it just felt like an exciting moment, even though it's just reading text. <laughs> They've turned it into this great, exciting puzzle that they're going to build. Yeah, know? no, it, it is. And it's to what extent this puzzle, maybe once it's revealed in terms of the full flow of the text, what's the impact of that going to be? It's mm-hmm. like... I can't imagine it's going to have Vanessa in ancient Aramaic or something like that that suddenly pulled it. But it, you know, it, it's how this, this feeds into it. But I, I, I think it, it's really nice that, you know, both in this season and, and the last one, you, you have that ancient mythology mm-hmm. coming into it. And, and in this case, it, it's, it's not simply Egyptian. It, it's all the different languages because yeah you know lucifer the devil is present in all these different cultures in one form or another yeah and um, that he he per- pervades through all these different cultures mm-hmm. it's not simply around the egyptian one so i, I really like that yeah. um and as i say i think with mr lyle i just feel um i think you're right ray i don't think he's got that malicious bone in his body to yeah. be overtly awful or or traitorous to mm. this group but he's he he is under threat, and maybe um, just maybe, as you said, when Madame Carly kind of just simply said, "Let them do their puzzle; it will bring them to me anyway." Mm-hmm. That simply put, he doesn't have the, such a key role in what is going mm. to happen yeah, because right. they will, in some form or another, make their way to the coven's den. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting though. I, I just liked his cautioning. I thought, okay, yeah. he's yes. not—he's not evil. Yeah, absolutely. We That's still have faith awesome. in Mr. Lyle. Yeah, yeah. That was very reaffirming. Actually, that was—that was a big takeaway from it. That mm-hmm. you know, his allegiance still lies with them. Although, as you say, John, as well, he—he's unfortunately he's the sort of person that would probably be most likely to to squeal if you squeezed a little. You know, he's got <laughs> yeah. a character to him, yeah. but um, but he, thankfully that doesn't happen. But he does, in a very subtle way, try and warn Malcolm. So that's yeah. very admirable. And I think just to segue Ray into your big moment, he is certainly um not one for physical violence. <laughs> um, he he is not particularly good at defending um himself. No. Although dare I say, are any of them? But in particular, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Lyle does get knocked off his feet somewhat. Mm-hmm. He, he can jump backwards very quickly. That's his ability. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a superpower. Uh, Ray, with that, do you want to take us on to your, uh, your big moment for the episode? Yeah, look, I, I picked a big chunky one as well towards the end mm-hmm. here. It's the uh, attack on the team at um, at the, the residence of Sir Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was really cool. It, it, for, for geeks out there as well, it reminded me a little bit of, of X2, um, attack on on X Mansion, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. in the sense uh, that you see and you see the the witches kind of just milling around, uh, the sense of danger coming, but then it's all on, and uh, and and you get such really good action here, uh, as you mentioned, Lyle. He kind of gets swatted away without mm-hmm. any uh, <laughs> any um, resistance. I like. Uh, 
some Bene mm-hmm. tackling yeah. one of the witches just without Barreling any thought down the of way towards them. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as Ethan is is being overpowered as well at the time, you know. So yes. Bene coming in yeah. to save him is just yep. fantastic. I have to say though, I was saying when Ethan was investigating the wall, that's something that he might have seen. I was like, put down. Put down the pot of coffee that you've just made and put it down while you're investigating something uh, sinister might be happening on the wall because you're going to get covered in burning coffee in a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that point as well. I mean, like he's he is the, the lupus day. Yeah. So he mm-hmm. has the, those extra senses and out of anyone, he would be the one that would kind of, you know, figure something out. So that, yeah. that was a cool touch as well. Yeah. Well, I, in Callie's coven, um, they do say when um, Hecate has kind of failed in a task that he smelt me. There was something other than, mm. I, yeah, I, I like that he's stopping. Something's not quite right um, there at all. Um, I, I do, um, I mean, I was thinking of Predator, actually, Ray, as well, um, with <laughs> with them coming out of the, mm-hmm. the wallpaper um, with the pattern on, um, that it was kind of like the Predator yeah, sort yeah. of, uh, sort of camouflaging itself within the jungle. Predator uh, in the 1800s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and certainly they're, they're difficult to take down. You probably would need one of those massive Arnold Schwarzenegger repeater guns to, <laughs> to take these, uh, critters down, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're pretty hardy. Um, I mean, the only one really where you kind of got a sense maybe she might be in trouble was the one up in, the bedroom with yeah. Vanessa when she starts speaking the the verbis Diablo, which just kind of seems to check her in, in mid flow. But ultimately, mm. I think the the damage is done there, mm. where um, she's got a lump of um, Vanessa's hair. Absolutely. Uh, I really felt that as well when yeah. she tugged on it. Um, and uh, is that going to be added to the? Dollar? Well, I believe I so. Yeah. Um, not to have the spoilers but i think yes it it, it it's to add something of them uh, as well to the doll so it's not only you know the the, the baby's heart to kind of animate it yeah. and then you need something of the person the mm-hmm. yes yeah. so it, it yeah. is kind of voodoo-y uh for sure Do you know i have to say the direction of this scene from uh, from damon thomas was fantastic because the whole scene the build-up to it is so boring and so normal. You know, you, obviously there is the investigation, the puzzle that's going on inside, but as it pans around the rest of the house, you know, we have Ethan and Sabene downstairs, you know, making dessert. And then you have, yeah. <laughs> you have uh, Vanessa up in her room, brushing her hair and you're the yeah. tension that's there. As you see a little bit of the wallpaper move slightly, and then it cuts to mm. another scene. And then you see a little bit of the wallpaper in that room move slightly. And then you suddenly realize the whole house is infested with these three witches, uh, all in each room, all preparing themselves to attack. And then it pounces almost unexpectedly as Ethan's looking at the wrong wall, the wall that you had previously mm, seen yeah. the witches on the witch jumps out from behind him. I just think it's so well done. I, I hope this guy has done some, uh, has done some horror work after doing this episode because, uh, he's definitely got a talent for a proper jump scare, a proper jump scare, not a cat walking past in the background. A jump scare is when you think something is going to attack from one side and it actually attacks from another yeah. side. Great job. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it, it was also how it was almost like one of those, uh, remember the, the, um, 
the the images that you had to look at forever, and then all of a sudden a shark would pop, jump out at you, and you had to yeah. kind of go cross-eyed. 3D images. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the 3D images, and I've it was kind of like... 30 years yeah. to actually see one of those. It's still not <laughs> Exactly. It was like <laughs> Vanessa in, in the room, and all of a sudden she's kind of squinting, and yeah. <laughs> and the the person kind of just materializes from the, the wallpaper pattern. Yeah. Um, you know what I thought was interesting about some of those as well? They weren't standing staring directly at who they were monitoring, when that when that particular witch comes out of the wall, she's actually looking in a completely different direction. She's standing sideways yeah. and not actually looking at Vanessa. I just thought it was interesting that they weren't just staring at their intended victim. They were placing themselves uh, in a spot on the wall. Maybe the pattern mm. didn't go the whole way around or something. <laughs> but, that's, well, that's true. I, I thought Sembene was going to take the... Um, the cake slicer at one point. Yeah. I, I thought one of them was going to die. I thought I, I think my recollection here was a little fuzzy because I, I, I kind of did think one of them was going to die um, in in mm. some way. Um, and I, I kind of was thinking, wouldn't it be great? Just because you'd had the moment where Ethan had said buttercream tort was not something I would expect to associate with Simbeni. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I thought if he had come sort of raging through and as he'd sort of rugby tackled her uh, away from Ethan, that he, you know, the cake slicer um, <laughs> was just kind of planted into the neck. Maybe. It would have, you know, or sort of, I don't know, suffocate her with buttercream torch by kind of <laughs> stuffing it up the nostrils and down the ears and into the mouth or something. Oh, that's how I want um, to go. <laughs> oh, best death ever. Uh, maybe chocolate cream torch for me, actually. I wouldn't mind a bit of chocolate. Um, but enough about cake death. <laughs> I actually thought that we were going to see um, some sort of like the reveal of some Bene, you know, because yeah. he's been very quiet for a long time. Absolutely. Um, so it did surprise me that he was overpowered shortly afterwards and, and the witches mm-hmm. were still very much uh, stronger than anyone else. Um, but like you, John, as well, I was I, I thought one of them would have been offed some way in some yeah. horrific way, uh, yeah. but no, yeah. not, not to be. But exactly. yeah, I think it just shows how powerful uh, these creatures uh, are. And certainly Malcolm has got some more um, home improvements to do after <laughs> his front door uh, was possibly, yeah, properly ripped out um, mm. off its hinges yeah. um, by by the the fleeing night creatures. Absolutely, um, yeah. For sure. Yeah, and really to your point, I think this was the episode, I think they were setting it up for you, Ray, to be honest, with some Bene. Um, that conversation yep. that was going on the whole way through Ethan. Because mm. again, we've said Ethan through season one was the eyes of the, of the viewer. He's the, he's the one that's asking those questions that we would ask if we were in that situation. And he's just constantly yeah. niggling at some Bene going, so what exactly is it that you used to do when you were in your <laughs> homeland kind of thing? He goes, Oh, things like this. Um, you know, and, and Ethan goes, Oh, I'll take care of these. And he goes, No, no, I'll take care of them. And Ethan goes, it'll help pay my way. And some Bene goes, it helps pay my way. <laughs> like yeah, he's kind of yeah. completely cutting Ethan off, but not telling him anything about himself. So I do yeah. feel like John Logan likes to play with his audience a lot because we don't get a reveal of who he really is. We don't get a reveal mm. of his actual past. What we do get is just some kind of indication that himself and Sir Malcolm have a connection, some connection, and that Simbene is now living in his house in in London. And he's paying for paying for his keep, I suppose, by being mm. their butler in a yeah. way. I'm taking care of the family. He feels a lot like Alfred the butler rather than uh, rather than a, a subservient butler, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, well, we do get to find he, w- he was a hunter, um, and 
but the rest of it's a secret. Exactly. Which is kind of interesting. Exactly. Yeah, I, I want to uh, know more about Sim Benny. Oh, yeah, we all do. But I think that's John Logan's trick, that he's hiding it back. And might might get it at the final episode of season three. We may learn something about Sim Benny that uh, is true to his past. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's something that John Logan loves to do. God damn it, John. <laughs> Logan. <laughs> Um, there's also like, a, 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 around this whole kind of scene as well, the, um, Hecate gets a, a one up yeah. from Ethan again. So it's kind of like a, um, I told you so, or, you yeah. know, I'm better than you from their previous encounter, mm-hmm. where, which was a really great scene of, um, Ethan kind of doing the, the Vanessa on, on Hecate. Um, yeah. At the the very beginning of season one, he he gets a measure and he he susses her out. Although he totally misfires, mm-hmm. he believes that Hecate is an agent of his father, mm-hmm. um, and obviously she's not. Um, but he reveals you know, he he calls her out nevertheless. Um, so I loved it. Towards the end, we see Hecate in her in her witch form, and mm-hmm. she makes some sort of remark about her shoes, uh, and then Absolutely. off she runs. Yeah. How do you think are these comfortable shoes, Ethan? Yes, yeah. revealing instantly <laughs> that she is that she is the witch. I think that's a, a really good touch. You know what? I'm beginning to love this character of Hecate. I love her name mm. uh, first off. I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting. I love that she even criticizes her own name when she says it to Ethan earlier on. But I love the scene between herself and her mother Evelyn um so I'm guessing there's a there's kind of a, a conflict in my head and I'm not certain about it how they talk to each other these witches where you know we saw in the last episode with Joan where Joan was called the sister of Evelyn and in this episode we hear Hecate being called the daughter of Evelyn I'm not too sure whether any of those are actual familial bonds or whether they're to do with the coven bonds. I'm not, I'm not mm. definite about it, but I do love the scene when Evelyn's trying to sort of give out to Hecate and Hecate's going, look, you didn't tell me he was a lupus. You didn't tell me he'd be able to find out everything just by sniffing me for a second. So not my fault. And then Evelyn goes, do better next time. And all you get is just this cat-like hiss out of the yeah. bells from Hecate as if she's kind of going, you won't be in your position for long. I'll be in that position soon kind of thing. So, uh, so I'm really liking the interplay between, between these guys. As I said at the beginning of our discussions of season two, the idea of having the insight into our villains this season where you see them all interact with each other and hear about their plans before they go out and enact them adds so much to this uh, second season of the show that we didn't really get from the vampires in season one. Um, so I'm yep. really enjoying seeing them and seeing some more powerful characters on screen this time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, she, she's a great character to, um, <laughs> to introduce as well. And yeah, for a while there, at the beginning when she kind of spies on Ethan, you wonder whether there is some there's more interest rather mm-hmm. than actually just pursuing him as a target from Hecate, yeah. whether she does find him enticing or not. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see uh, yeah. with her character. Yeah, it kind of feels like maybe with that cat-like side of her that she has, maybe she just wants to toy with her food before uh, yeah. <laughs> before killing it. That's um, <laughs> kind, of, yeah. kind of what you what you feel with her. Uh, I'm just going to take the, the final point for uh, episode four. Um, just because we haven't really talked a huge amount about uh, Mr. Putney and, uh, and John Clare, I suppose we'll call it now, uh, Caliban, um, and his discussions with, uh, with uh, Mr. Putney's daughter. I think there's another great uh, interesting discussion between, between him and uh, the, the blind daughter of, uh, of Mr. Putney as she does investigate, you know, what color his eyes are. And, and we hear from John Clare that uh, his eyes are actually yellow. Um, 
and I like the reaction of of uh, of the daughter just saying, "Well, that's really interesting and different." Um, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like she she does the all of the work uh, in in um, the Putney uh, Wax Museum. She does the work on the faces. So a nice tie in with the fact that every time she sees someone, she rubs their face to see what they really look like. She uses that ability that she has to create these uh, lifelike. Um, images of of people for uh, for the waxwork, um, but there is a macabre side of of this museum. You know, we we knew that from the beginning that he's setting up um, the uh, House of Horrors almost uh, within his museum to compete with uh, with Madame Tussauds. But what we hear in here is there's a discussion between him and his wife, um, which is something that is I'm sure going to be fleshed out as the episodes go on. But definitely want to point out here where he says he's keeping some of his attractions in the cellar all the time because they don't need the light they're all freaks and suddenly you start to get a little bit of worry for uh for what might happen to john claire will he get bashed over the head and stuck in a cage to be uh viewed by the paying public as they come in and out of this area in the future uh what's going to happen so i'm i'm, I'm now in, even more intrigued with their kind of storyline and what's going on there yeah so you're suggesting that there's actually real life people down Yes, I am. Yeah, I, I, I think. Okay. I think it was from his wife, kind of going, um, "You're going to keep them down the cellar all the time." And he says, "Yeah, yeah, they're just freaks. They don't need the light." So yeah, nasty. I don't think he's talking about waxworks. I think he's talking about actual yeah uh, okay. people that he's considering as nasty. Freaks. I must have missed that. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. So Mr. Putney is not quite. Um, he's not in the same league as Vincent from the Grand Guignol. No. Um, he's a little dodgier. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So unfortunately, um. John Player may have put his trust in uh, the wrong person here. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I, that's probably going to come back and, and bite him. I, I think it, probably in two ways, not only maybe directly with um, Oliver Putney uh, and how he, he's, he, he will treat him. But it's also, you know, speaking of cats, whilst the cat's away, that the mice will play. Um, you know, I, I kind of like that Victor back in um, his, his laboratory you know, he, he's still working, uh, I suppose, effectively on Lily. There, the, you know, mm-hmm. there is an undercutting of, of Caliban, um, slash John Clare here, yeah. uh, from Victor, uh, to, to Lily. Um, she doesn't feel, um, you know, comfortable, uh, with, with Caliban in the same way maybe that she feels comfortable with, with Victor in, at this moment, even though, you know, Lily is has been reanimated, brought back to life yeah. for Caliban. So um, I, I find this uh, is probably not going to end um, too well. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm wondering the one of the things that's kind of popping into my mind as as we talk through these episodes, the request or the demand, I suppose, that Caliban made of his creator was to create someone like him who would have to go through and experience life with him uh someone that could be a partner because he felt like he couldn't find a partner in the future uh, since that time he has met vanessa ive someone who's had at least an interaction which was kind and pleasant and she didn't treat him differently to anybody else and he's also met the daughter of mr putney who seems to absolutely accept what he's like she knows what he looks like from her fingers the first time they met and now knows there's something even more unusual with him with the eyes so he's met two other i suppose potential uh, people that he could have uh, some serious connection with after making the request of Victor to create someone that would that would be able to look upon him, so I'm just wondering if there's going to be a point where he kind of goes, mm, actually, maybe I maybe I was a bit rash thinking that nobody would want to be around me. I found a few other people. You go on ahead, Victor, or will, or do you think it will be as serious because Victor is uh, is 
almost creating Lily in for himself in a way. I, th- I think yeah. it could be a bit of column A, column B, mm. um, but I, I think it's not to underestimate um, Lily in, in saying no here. Um, I, I think yeah, um, I think that that conversation at, with the dress um, where she's in the corsets and oh, yes. in the high heels, and she's she's saying corsets they are cruel and they're restrictive and they're only for men it's for men's eyes that they're they're worn Um, and and victor kind of it's almost like he is adding another type of spark one that's not electrical but it's that he's giving her the spark of of truly understanding men of that time Mm -hmm. um, and how they view women in that he says you know men keep women corseted in reality so that they don't take over the world mm-hmm. um, and I, I think this is very much a spark of, of how Lily comes to view herself um, you know she wants to be uh, she wants that corset off um, she wants the to free herself relieve herself of, of this dependency around men and maybe she sees Caliban as part of that mm-hmm. mm. I think what really does sabotage John Clare's relationships with women is his own perception of himself as well. He's very down on, on like his appearance and, um, and he still views himself as an outsider. Um, I mean, the, the, the fact that he is drawn to the waxworks as well, somewhere that mm. he can be hidden away to do the stuff, just to work away. Um, yeah. he doesn't give himself much value. And, and I think that's what harms his relationships, um, with, say, Lavinia. I mean, when, when they did meet up as well, he, he's very reluctant to let, um, her touch his face and he's very yeah. reluctant to describe his eyes. Um, so the relationship that he'd have with Lily seems a lot more appealing because she's one of his kind. He doesn't have yes. to feel, um, like he's an outsider in any sense. Yeah. Um, just going back a few points as well, John, to what you mentioned. If we go back to like, yeah, Putney's Waxworks and, mm. uh, with Lavinia and the, and the, um, the conversation that John Claire has with, I thought that was a, a very, um, really very good interaction between the two. Um, Lavinia talks about actually the reluctance of, of bringing waxworks into the world um, for, you know, the massacres and, and, and the, mm-hmm. the, the chamber yeah. of horrors, how yeah. she finds it, she feels so sorry for those figures because they come into the world kind of like screaming and, and in horror. And yeah. you can kind of see that kind of parallel with the creation of, of John Clare. Um, so I like that little touch over there as well. Um, yeah. John, you were mentioning about Vincent Brand and the Putneys. Um, when we're introduced to the Waxworks Museum, I got that sense that, okay, this is another Vincent Brand at first because the, the yeah. actor himself is very affable. He looks very yeah. affable and he yeah. does a good job. As, as the series goes on of actually turning and being a little bit more, um, malevolent. Uh, yeah. So I found, um, that parallel as well with Vincent Brand and, and the Guggenhall Theatre coupled against, uh, the Putney's wax, wax works quite interesting too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're hoping, you know, that by Caliban meeting someone like Vincent, he is open to meeting future people like that mm. as well. So has he yes. trusted the wrong person here? And as, as we go on, we're, we're seeing that he may have trusted the wrong person. Uh, John, you, you recognize the actor from, from some other stuff as well before he was in, uh, comedy shows before with, uh, yeah, he was in some, he was in comedy shows with Rowan Atkinson. I think it was called the thin blue line, mm. um, which, uh, I didn't really watch, but he was also, I suppose, most well known for being in four weddings and a funeral. That's um, he, he, he was, 
was Bernard. That exactly. he, he was the guy who didn't really have sex and then got a lot of sex very yes. quickly um, <laughs> with a really randy sort of posh girl yes. um, who also didn't have a lot of sex but was sex mad. Yes, um, oh, it. Bernard. <laughs> there you go. I knew I recognised him from, from another yeah, step. That's probably his, his most well-known. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he, a staple of, I think, TV in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was it. That was my kind of big moment from the episode about the about the Putneys. Um, a couple of notes, I suppose, uh, about the episode. Anything that we may not have talked about but so far. I do want to mention Dorian Gray and Angelique uh, in this episode again. Um, I, I love their interplay as they go off to the brand new fad sweeping London. <laughs> I love the description of it. It almost sounds like they're going to a leather bondage bar. I'm trying to think of the term. Yeah. Use, uh, but it sounds like they're going to some kind of leather bondage bar and it turns out to be table tennis. Yeah, so what do we do here? Do we hit the ball? one way and then you hit back <laughs> towards me kind of thing but that's a kind of uh, indicative of how they speak to each other because both of them are patting that ball back and forth uh with their with their discussions that little patter between the two of them is still there you know we have that wonderful moment between the two of them where angelique says i'm very provocative and and dorian says well provocation is like food and drink to me which it absolutely is this is exactly his character he'd be the kind of person that would love to walk around with anybody as long as everybody around has their eyes on that person you know i love of this yeah. this way you know and even during that that scene in the in the room uh, where they're all playing table tennis everybody around them starts to look towards them as they kiss because there's something different about this couple something different from the old stuffy men who are paying for Absolutely. this opportunity to play table tennis in london they look around as these two kisses it, it's just such a, a a well put together scene so i really really like the interaction between these two i kind of like the reference as well from angelique about the electrical lighting you know what does that do to a woman's complexion action mm-hmm. you know even with um evelyn pool she she has talked about you know i'm a bit of a luddite i i would throw the wheels into the river um, mm-hmm. and and th- this idea of technology and um what it might do this you know that, that it's it's seen with suspicion mm-hmm. that it, it may cause some something bad yeah. to you uh for angelique it, it's the complexion of, of her face but you know it's almost a bit like with mobile phones when yeah. the the radio waves were going to you know cook your brain yeah. and stuff like that so um i i kind of thought yeah. that was just a nice little reference here in this age of rapid change mm-hmm. yeah i just had a little note as well nothing too big but um just when you think respect for Miss Ives can't get any higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's again done one other thing that makes me just love her so much more. Buttercream tort for breakfast. She has dessert for <laughs> yeah, breakfast. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> All the time. I just love those little... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what? Uh, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, I, I do love that little touch of, of how caring Sabene is for her as well when he's cleaning off her place and her place has more food than everybody else and he's instantly worried about her. He's like, oh, well, yes. she really does need to eat more. And later on, we find out if she has dessert for breakfast. So she also needs to eat better as well. Yes, <laughs> she does. <laughs> Uh, John, any anything of note for the episode that you haven't talked about yet? Um, no, it was just again. I think with the Byzantine uh, dalliances, it's you know this is a kind of a bit of a connotation of of being Byzantine, um, and it, it, it's it's really coming not from. 
the time period itself, uh, but there's a negative connotation around it, uh, mm. or it's a it's it's a connotation of one of maybe a freer time. But it 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 got this negative connotation from sort of later ages, like during the Renaissance right. and and so on. Uh, but there's the idea that um, yeah, it was maybe a little free and easy. <laughs> okay. Did things that. Wouldn't have been acceptable yeah. then. So, yes. yeah, that it was fairly uh, hedonistic, um, free and easy, mm-hmm. and you know, for the, the stiff upper Victorians, that um, it was both something to recoil from, but also that they engaged in of with course. their brothels and, and the like. Yeah. So, um, I, I like again that Mister Lyle, our general foppish, suavish uh, kind of person, who kind of likes both you know he wants the money of the social standing mm-hmm. but enjoys uh sort of investigating and researching the these um byzantine ways i suppose yeah. uh, is one to bring up these these dalliances yeah we didn't actually mention that either did we that uh that just that call from evelyn Poole and why she's able to manipulate mr lyle is because all of the money that's been allowing him to pursue this lifestyle that he has is his wife's money. Oh, so right. if yes. she uh, if she loses her standing, I'm sure she knows about everything that's going on with uh, Mr. Lyle, but if she loses her standing because the world knows about what's going on, he will lose the money and therefore he will just be an old man in the street with a dyed wig. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so it is, it's, it's very connected to the money that is being given to him, lets him live this life. And the other interesting thing, it, it comes to the, the vicar actually from the previous, um, episode. So, you know, we've talked about, um, how the arts and the sciences are allowed, um, I suppose what would normally have been conceived as a misfit being able to express themselves and flamboyantly or, mm. or be, well, it, he's that way because of the, you know, he, he's so knowledgeable in researching things like ancient Egypt or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, this, these ideas of expression, being able to express themselves in a way that society feels is acceptable or normal, even though it's to, um, in a sense, cover something up. Whereas what I, what I felt with the, the, the vicar was that in a sense, the church is also part of that at this time mm. where people could go into the church, but it, but it's one of suppressing who they are. It's right. not getting up on stage to artistically be, um, you know, wild and gay or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. and for regular people in society to say, Oh, but that's what is required from an artist yeah. or an actor or the same way for someone researching these, these kind of things. Um, you know, the church is, is also that zone where people, uh, w- w- would go to, mm-hmm. but it's one of, um, preaching a creed that maybe is against what is that they should be yeah. expressing. So one of, of repression yeah. rather than expression. So yeah. uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's it for our discussion on episode four of Penny Dreadful season two. And let's close out our part three discussion with just a quick chat about what your thoughts have been on the first half or first part of this 10 episode season. Ray, as our guest, what do you think of season two of Penny Dreadful so far? Yeah, really, really enjoying it. Um, I remember first watching season two. I found it hard to to beat season one, um, mm-hmm. and it just took a little while to adjust to the new villains because it was so well done in season one with the vampires and the creatures. 
so to kind of get your headspace into this other world. But as the, I mean, the the four episodes that we've covered as as we go through it, you get more and more invested. So I'm actually I'm really enjoying it. It's very strong. Um, as we mentioned, uh, the writing. I mean, John Logan's written most of them so far, and and. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just really well written. Um, he, he really knows what he wants to do, where he wants to take them all. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and that's coming through with it. Uh, and he spends time with the more secondary characters, which I find mm-hmm. very good. It's all about the details and he, and he, he gives us those details. So uh, I found it so far very, uh, very compelling. Um, and yeah, it, it's more of a focus on, on Miss Ives now um definitely but i think they're playing to their strengths with vanessa Mm -hmm. uh, with um eva green sorry so um yeah uh, it's really good highly recommended at the moment yeah excellent excellent john what's your thoughts on penny dreadful season two so far yeah i mean for me it's five creepy dollhouse tea parties uh out of five but with a nice comforting wedge of buttercream tort um <laughs> i think you need that comforting tort of mm-hmm. mr lyle um i i think it's equal to season one um for sure um i i love how they've as you say, Ray, they've played to their strengths, but mixed it up in a sense of introducing the, the witches and giving them a story. So not necessarily keeping them fully, uh, in, in, in the shadows, even though I suppose things like, um, what happens to the kidnapped baby, maybe it is something that could have been kept in the shadows. But I, I think it, um, I think, it, I, th- I think it plays to the fact that the, the show is, is compelling. It's uncompromising. It's willing to delve into this darkness of, of um, supernatural, of mythology, of folklore, of, you know, big things like good versus evil and how they're not quite as polarized as you may think um so i really enjoyed this uh, again eva green just fantastic um helen mcquarrie just is totally great as well mm. as uh, evelyn Poole uh, or madame carly and pat lapone uh was just awesome as um the the, the cult wife of ballantry moore mm-hmm. and i i think it's just been a really solid start and i i um you know i i'm just hoping it will keep going that way to yeah. be honest yeah. um i also like with ethan that they're starting to explore uh his his lupus uh origins as well and i'm glad that they seem to have a more competent detective on the case with inspector rusk Mm -hmm. as well on the trailer i reckon he will be a harder nut to crack uh, than the previous one i'm hoping uh, we're gonna get more of him these first four episodes have had a scene in three of them i think um just a very small scene talking about this character having this character kind of in the investigation but it seems to end just as he comes to a realization about something and then we're going on to the next episode. We still haven't seen what any of those realizations are. So I'm hoping that we're going to yeah. get a good maybe half an episode of him investigating and tying things together in the future. But um, but for me, this first half of season two, a great setup for the season. The season's a little bit longer. It's got 10 episodes in it. Um, last season was only eight. Um, but I kind of love the opening of the season where we have that conversation between Ethan and uh, Vanessa, where Ethan finally is about to tell someone uh 
about his lycanthropy. Uh, he's finally going to unburden himself and say, there are things inside me, demons inside me that you need to know about as well, Vanessa. And she's like, hold that, hold that thought a second. Here come the real demons about <laughs> yeah. to take us off here. You know, uh, he's about to leave and we get the setup of that. Why he's going to stay uh, is that last time it was just a battle. This time it's the war. So uh, what a great way to kind of take your jumping off point from season one, bring it into season two and make it even more interesting, I suppose, even more exciting. And the, the characters and actors that are in the season have been fantastic so far with, as you guys mentioned, great writing from John Logan once again. So, uh, yeah, really excited to get into the second part of this season. This is the last of our four episode podcasts that we've been doing for uh, Penny Dreadful so far. We're going to be moving on to three episodes for each of the last parts. I say that we've still got another um 18 episodes, I think, left to go of our Penny Dreadful <laughs> uh, coverage, but there'll be three episodes per part from now on going up to the uh, release of Penny Dreadful City of Angels on April 26th. I want to say a huge, huge thank you once again to Ray for joining us for this podcast. Great to have you with us, man. No worries. It's it's always a pleasure. Uh, this, this series is just so fun to talk about and, and so yeah. fun to chat with you guys. Excellent. And you've got the uh, unenviable uh, position of going to bed now directly after this because it's somewhere around half past midnight uh, over in Australia at the moment. So uh, sorry that we've well, hopefully we don't keep you up with nasty nightmares of the penny dreadfuls. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> not at all. I'm just going to think of that doll with the goggly eyes and the mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? It's like the cat meme. Oh, what's that? Exactly. Ray, where can people find you, the podcast, and, and where can we find you online? Sure. Um, uh, check us out on um, Facebook or Twitter. Uh, the handle's pretty easy to remember. It's uh, on Twitter. It's at ITK Moon Knight. This is for the Into the Night Moon Knight podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash ITK Moon Knight. We also have a group there as well, but um, just, just send in a request. We're, we're always happy to, to hear from fellow loonies. Uh, other podcasts as well, Last Sons of Krypton, Superman podcast, um, LSK podcast. So uh, Twitter handle, LSK podcast, or facebook.com slash LSK podcast. Excellent. Excellent. Hopefully you'll be joining us in the future, Ray, uh, for some yeah, more episodes absolutely. on Penny Dreadful. If our fellow Penny Faithful want to keep following the things that we're covering, you can also find us on uh, tvpodcastindustries.com where you can subscribe to the podcast and anything we're discussing uh, as we're going up to um, Penny Dreadful. We're yes. also discussing loads of other stuff. We've got a uh, Picard still going on at the moment. I think we may have finished that uh, as you're listening on the main feed now. We're uh, releasing these episodes after we've finished our Star Trek Picard coverage. Yes, I, I somehow the, the, the cold vacuum of space seems weirdly uh, more appealing than Victorian London uh, <laughs> with dolls yeah. uh, and crazy witches for some reason. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. And if you want to get any thoughts in about any of the episodes of Penny Dreadful, give us a penny for your thoughts. Uh, email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with any kind of discussion points or any things that you remember from uh, your time watching Penny Dreadful. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for joining us for our discussions about Penny Dreadful. We hope you stay subscribed to the podcast. And if you enjoy what you hear, please share it with your friends. Sharing the podcast is sharing the love. And we all need some comforting love after uh, seeing these witches and their coven. <laughs> We'll be back next time with our Season 2, Episode 5 podcast, where we'll be talking about the fifth episode of Penny Dreadful, Season 2. As always, fellow Darklings, it has been a pleasure speaking to you in the Verbis Diablo. Uh, I like it, Always remember, keep watching, keep listening, and for this podcast, keep screaming.
Thanks very much for listening, everyone. And from this massive baby heart of mine, I want to say thank you for listening and, and good, good night. <laughs> thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>